0: Hello, I'm Matthew Burritt,
1: And I'm Taylor Romans, and this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education.
2: This week on Hard Beeswax, Matthew and Taylor speak with death metal musician Matthew Palazzo about his experience with Waldorf education, his favorite subject, a senior drum solo, Sun Tzu's Art of War, and of course, Hard Beeswax. We realize that we are
0: just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement, and we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. Thank you, Matthew, for being here on our podcast. I really appreciate you coming and and talking with us on here on hard beeswax.
2: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah. So, I question I usually ask our guests is what What do you think about when you heard the title hard beeswax? What does that mean for you?
2: Um, um little like squared colored things of beeswax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: did you did you have a memory of using beeswax as a young child
2: honestly just balling it up
0: yeah (laughs) that's
2: my first that's my first instinct and exactly how it feels on my hands and the coating it leaves on your hands yeah yeah that kind of stickiness that catch yeah yeah
1: it almost reminds me of bow resin i mean which you know it is you know related in
2: some way yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) Well, great. So, uh, Matthew, please talk about uh, your experiences in Waldorf education. How did you first um, learn about it, or you know, did you know t- talk about the story? Maybe even you know your parents. How your parents found Waldorf education?
2: Okay. Well, I uh, when I was ten years old, uh, I was me and my family left Santa Barbara, California. At that point, I had only been in the public school system. Um, in Southern California, and um, my dad had got a job in Santa Fe, New Mexico, so I came to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and my parents asked me and my sister, they're like, how do you feel about doing something a little bit different? And we were like, I mean, I was 10, I was like, I don't even know what that means, but okay. Um, And uh, they uh, I didn't, they they said, you're going to go to a place called uh, a Waldorf school. They're kind of all over the place, and I was like, all right, sounds good. I didn't know. I I had been to lots of different schools growing up. I was in a different school every grade all the way up to fourth grade, so I was used to just meeting people. Uh huh. Um, and uh, I showed up, and uh, I remember the first day it was. Uh, I was like, "Oh, this is really different." Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to do the Pledge of Allegiance. I was ready to do like all that kind of stuff, and then everybody started doing these morning verses. Yeah, and um. I asked my desk partner, I was like, so what TV shows do you watch? <laughs> and she was like, I don't have a TV. And I was like, what is this place? Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, was like, cause I was like, I was like, I was like, I like Spongebob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And then everybody would like sing or they, they whipped out the recorders and I was like, I was kinda of in over my head. I quickly caught on to it, but at first I was like the first day on <laughs> for the first like week or so I was mad at my parents. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. This is like I had all my friends, I knew what I was doing. They all watched the same things that I did. I don't understand. Um, uh, but that quickly went away. Um and um uh, I would say um well yeah that was that was my introduction to it um my parents didn't really I don't know how honestly I have no idea how my parents found it but I think they wanted uh just something different for their kids because they had both done the typical trajectory and I don't think for that I don't think they believed for themselves that it worked out for themselves very well and they wanted their kids to do something differently so Uh
1: yeah so what you know you did a beautiful job of kind of Putting a finger on your first impression, what what immediately, maybe were there things that were different that you maybe latched onto as saying this is different, but this is pretty cool early on, and maybe oh, yeah. what were some of those things?
2: I see. Um, honestly, just like the, I actually thought the um, the whole concept of the main lesson block thing was actually really cool because, especially. Um, If I didn't um, particularly latch on to a subject personally, I was like, cool, I don't have to do this all year. Yeah. Uh, But then, at the same time, if I did like it, I actually, I'm not much of an artist with my hands or uh, pencils and stuff like that, but I actually really thought that was kind of fun. I liked the drawing, illustration aspects of things. I was not much of a writer. Writing was not my Mm -hmm. forte, if Mm -hmm. you will. Bert might remember my high school English grades may reflect, reflect that a little bit um, <laughs> who remembers but, that stuff anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. um, but uh, yeah I, just, I found that was really enticing I found the um, I loved the class size mm. it, what, it, I loved that you I went to school every day and I knew everybody in my grade mm-hmm. and I had some form of relationship with all of them Mm. Really, really wonderful thing because if you're used to public school, you just like, like, oh yeah, they're in my class. I don't know them though. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah. It's really weird.
0: D- um, did you find it difficult to transition in it when, when you first got there? Was it fifth grade?
2: Yeah, fifth grade. Um, yeah. It was, I didn't think it was too, for me personally, it wasn't, um... I was uncomfortable for like a week, but I'm, uh, again, I'm pretty, from a really young age, I'm pretty good at being thrown into like new environments and Mm -hmm. kind of adapting to that. Um, but, um, I would say I felt really welcome. They introduced me to my death partner, Ezra. She made me feel really comfortable, all these things. And, um, that it was, yeah. And I had also already known three of the boys in the class from playing sports outside oh nice okay which was real that was a little thing i forgot to add to is that i before i had joined a school i had moved at the beginning of summer so i'd been playing soccer and baseball and um three of the boys who were on my soccer team met they're like oh we're in your class (laughs) next week i'm like okay (laughs) nice
1: that makes a big difference
2: Um, yeah so that was helpful
1: what was your experience transitioning to having a class teacher? You know, kind of that one figurehead there with you that through was, it all.
2: I didn't quite honestly believe it at first. Um, I was like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, honestly, though, I, 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 my the way my memory serves me with how I grew up, I don't say I would remember. I honestly can't imagine having it any other way mm-hmm. at this point um, mm-hmm. because I— especially like my elementary school years in public school were just like first, fourth grade, kindergarten, and all that stuff. So that's not, I don't remember that time as well mm. nowadays. Um, I also just, you know, uh, having my Michael Oleg as my one teacher was just oh. really, yeah, he's the man. Um, <laughs> took me like three weeks to figure out how to say his last name. though. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I really felt he was... Um, Well, I felt that concept and idea was really important because, especially getting up into eighth grade when we're all hitting our teenage years, having one person who has known you as a a kid to be transitioning into kind of like that awkward point between kid and adulthood, Mm -hmm. someone who knows what you're like, Mm. really. To trying to keep you grounded to that a little bit, while also trying to guide you through the really awkward—I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that's. I think I, I. In my opinion, I think it should. I really believe that that is kind of like the best thing ever. Hmm.
1: Well, and I think in addition to seeing, trusting that your teacher has seen you change, you see your teacher change, right? And. Very much, yeah. And I—I I mean, I remember my teacher doing stuff she wasn't very good at and yet just really taking it in stride. And as a kid, that was so powerful because I think adults tend to avoid, (laughs) you know, you're like, I'm a grown up. I have to be good at stuff. And we tend to avoid kind of, Mm. you know, putting ourselves out there and having a class teacher who is having to go through all the subjects with you, even though like you, they may not be an English person or they, you know, like me may not be a super mathy person and and just seeing them take a stab at it. I think has a lasting impact and, and it builds trust, right? Of like, okay, oh, yeah. this, this person has, has, you know, made themselves, put themselves in a position to appear vulnerable. Mm. And so I feel safe doing the same.
2: Right. Yeah. And also going to the same, doing like parent teacher conferences with the same teacher every yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. They're like, there's more of a, I'm not looking. Well, I mean, I still probably was looking at the floor because I was embarrassed, yeah. but, Um, I I I felt more comfortable with it because it's like, it's almost like, I I guess for lack of a better way of saying it, it's like having a third parent almost. Oh yeah.
1: It was always, it was always a joke of who would call the teacher mom. You know, who would slip up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What, what kind of playground kid were you? What did you do on the playground?
2: Anything. Uh, To this day, I'm still a very competitive person. Um, So anything that was, I think for my class in fifth grade, all the rage was just capture the flag. We did that.
0: Their class was nuts about capture the flag. We loved loved
2: it. Um, I bet
1: you like the wilderness trips then, you know?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Capture the the flag at dusk with Burrett, you know? Yes. (laughs) Hurting
0: himself, falling down. Always. Running through bushes and trees.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. It was always a very big deal, um, and then also in, um, I guess, a lot of the. Uh, trying to think, it was mostly capture the flag, In middle school it was a lot of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was a period of foursquare as well. Mm. <laughs> um,
0: nice. Yeah.
2: But, uh, and then Bert also remembers in high school it was ping pong, which was dangerous.
0: It was ping pong, but it was also this game called Shark, I remember.
2: <laughs> quite. Oh, that's right. I, I kind of got, I kind of ruined it <laughs> It was
0: actually kind of a Calvin Ball esque game that we had yeah. invented, which was, it was kind of like Hacky Sack but it was kind of like dodgeball. Oh nice. Where it was we would play with a ball and I just the class of of 2011 were super super competitive about it and then they would chuck the ball so hard that it would just it would just be flying all over the room and it all came crashing down the day that I opened the door to the Spanish room oh. and just got nailed in the face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually, I was actually going to ask if it was a Senora Castilla getting hit. <laughs> no,
0: it was actually me. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was, yeah, it was, it was wild. I think uh, we also. Somebody was complaining. I think the studs were starting to come out of the door. Yeah, yeah, wall.
0: the yeah, the, nut, the nails were starting to like poke through. Yeah, yeah. Right, we should chill on that. <laughs> Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, that's great.
0: I, I wanna go back a little bit to um middle school. What what was your um do you remember your eighth grade project at all?
2: I do. Um it's, it's kinda show my a little bit of an evolution of who I am a little bit. I was still um I would I wouldn't say I was I hadn't come to be a bit more of a creative person at this point yet, so I was still um My typical Southern California boy, I was obsessed with cars still, Mm. Um, and so I did it on the internal combustion engine and uh, um, yeah, that was, uh, I definitely didn't know what I was doing. Um, uh, I remember, but at the same time I found it was like a very, how would you say, Humbling experience, getting to have to realize that oh, people are actually gonna have to listen to me talk for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I really, I really enjoyed it, and it's knowledge I still use to this day. I do all my own car maintenance and stuff like that. So Cool. It's kind of, well,
1: I really, I mean, you know, looking a little bit ahead, that you came, you know, somehow you came out with this love of music. But I'm just thinking, I know a couple of kids who have this dual. Love of cars and passion oh, yeah. for music, mm-hmm. right? That there, there does kind of like I'm thinking of Eno as someone yeah. who you know yeah. is kind oh, of yeah. self taught.
2: I love, I love Eno. You know, Eno, mm-hmm. oh wow, I worked with him at Tenderfire for a couple years.
1: Oh, nice, nice. I coached yeah. him on the basketball team.
2: Oh, cool, yeah, he's a gym. I
1: love that he's dude. a gym, yeah. yeah. But, but just like the love of cars, tinkering, working with the hands, and then some sort of musical pursuit to balance it out with,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: So, so knowing a little bit of where you ended up, right (laughs) with, with, um, I've, I've heard legends from, from Matthew about the drumming, but, but we'll get there. But were there, were there moments, did you have that as a young child? Were there moments in elementary school, middle school? Did you have a drum set or, you know, were you drawn to it at all? Or were there moments where there was a spark of something earlier in your life?
2: Honestly, not so much, so there's no musicians in my family, apart from when I was a kid, my dad had a guitar that he picked up like once every, really, just really rarely, and he would really attempt to play some softer Van Halen ballads, (laughs) Um, and uh, I just remember that he was always, uh, he always worked, he was just like a, a working man, but whenever he did that, it was, um, so he had a lot to he had a lot to say at the end of the day, but whenever he did that, he would stop. He'd be quiet, and he seemed like he was happy when he did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he he was very responsible for shoving a lot of music down my throat as a kid. So like Van Halen was my first concert when I was like nine. Wow. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. So, um, and then my mom also listened to stuff like The Cure and uh, the Cars and stuff like that a lot. So that stuff. When I was a little kid after school, I had a really cheap little boom box. Mm-hmm. And um, I had like three seats. I had like Van Halen's 5150 album, Def Leppard's Hysteria album, and Goo, Goo Dolls, Boy Named Goo, and The Car's Greatest Hits. I had those four seats. And after school, every day, I would come home, sit on my floor just in front of it, put one of them in, and just like listen to it from front to back. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was like one of my favorite things to do. I did that. Everyone at from age six to like ten, pretty much. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you came into Waldorf, did you take to the music?
2: Uh well so I picked the instrument of choice I chose was Viola.
1: Oh nice, uh, Viola.
2: Yeah, one of the rare ones. Ooh. I know. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I just remember my teacher being like, You'll never the violin, it's too competitive. Go viola, right. you'll always have a job.
0: Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what they do. I, I went cello and then trombone. Okay, yeah. see, that's, that's yeah. cool.
2: Yeah, I wanted to play cello, but my parents were like, it's a little more expensive, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, we'll do viola. Um, and it, it was like its own little club, too, because everybody's was like, oh, yes, viola. There's none of us, yeah, like three. Of us. Um, <laughs> um, but honestly, at first, it was not um my cup of tea, and honestly, it was. Never really my uh, cup of tea, but I do accredit it entirely to me asking to play drums. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember you in the jazz band yeah, the playing drums. Yeah,
2: I just started, just started playing drums right before high school. So, um,
0: what uh, do you but think?
2: The, oh, sorry, okay. go ahead. I was going to say with the viola, I was just like a little hooligan with it. I couldn't take it seriously. I was already starting to listen to heavier music. and If you're familiar on like heavier music with guitars, they like tune them down. Mm-hmm. And so I would just, like, tune the viola down really well. I'd make make the strings, like, really floppy and just, like, chug the bow on it. Aggressive sounding um, thing. And then my parents were just like, could you close the door?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So then you got to high school. Or actually, going back, so... You do your eighth grade project. Was there ever, what was the conversation like around you deciding to go on to the Waldorf High School? Was there a conversation in your family? Was it presented as a choice? Was it something you chose? If you could go into that.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it's a a bit of a funny story. I had been, I was, I'm pretty sure I'd already made my mind. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the Waldorf High School. But I had a lot of friends who also um, from sports outside of school who were going to go to prep. Like, oh, you know, we should just come over and prep, go with us. And I was like, all right, well, I'll come do an entrance exam or something and see if I get in, which I was like, I doubt I'll get in anyway. Um, but I was like, I'd already pretty much, I knew deep down, I was like, nah, I'm not going to go. And I remember one, it was winter of eighth grade during the ski season. And uh, my good friend, Isaac J who I live with now, um, Oh nice. and, wow um he uh was spending the night at my house because he was going to go skiing in the morning and i was going to go take the prep exam and we woke up in the morning and i was like i really don't want to go take this exam he's like you shouldn't you should come skiing and i was like all right <laughs> so i I ditched, the, I ditched the prep exam and i went snowboarding and then instead of enjoying a day snowboarding i first run of the day i broke my collarbone and got knocked out and no. I don't remember anything. So that's, and I was like, I'm definitely going to Waldorf. <laughs> <laughs> no. so
1: Fate intervened.
2: It did, very much so. so yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Did a lot of your class go on to high school?
2: Uh, I would say quite a fair amount, honestly. Yeah. Um, a few people, there were definitely a few people left. We got a fair amount of new people, too, my freshman year. But I would say 'cause my fresh my freshman class was what- i don't know was it twenty something would you say it was like twenty two it
0: was it was very close to twenty, I think it was nineteen or something like that nineteen yeah.
2: yeah, I remember it being a bigger one yeah so. it
0: was it was one of our biggest up to that point,
2: yeah- mm-hmm. yeah, so but yeah, it was definitely so yeah, I definitely got a fair amount of a good majority of people came with us to high school,
0: and what was that like socially was it was it um I mean, it was small, obviously, a small yeah. high school, but did you, were you nervous? What was that like for you, transitioning it to it? Was,
2: it was nervous. I was definitely nervous. I mean, it's high school. It's like, ooh. And I grew yeah. up watching John Hughes movies. So yeah. 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 Movies, so. um, <laughs> um, but um, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was because uh, Bert will remember this as well. Um, there was a boy... So I knew most, all the class I knew in my class who had moved up. And then a bunch of the, a couple of the outside people, there was a, a a boy named Zach Grace who I'd actually already known for five years prior to that. I had been playing baseball with him forever and mm-hmm. his father, a friend of my father's. And um, so I knew, I was like some of the new people coming in and the class already. So I was like, I really know this class. Yeah, I'm like kind of this middleman of knowing both people here, Yeah, which maybe. was kind of, maybe it's my own ego. I was like, Hey I. Ooh, I'm. The, I know people. <laughs> um, um, so that gave me a boost of confidence. But at the same time, the, I was mostly intimidated by the classes above me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and it wasn't this. It wasn't the senior class or the junior class. It was the sophomores that intimidated me. The class of 2010 was was uh, That one got a bit on me because they were also the other bigger class. Mm-hmm. So,
0: those those 2010. Classes. They were all wild, all across the country. I know there
2: was there was something
1: in the water that year, something in the beeswax. They dosed us all. Yeah,
2: just absorbed through the skin. I
1: know. It was like a, a latent, you know, herbal tincture that emerged in adolescence.
2: Just yeah, just blossomed to hyper competitive and. Oh yeah. Very yeah. yeah. So. But I, I I was pretty after like a couple months and like joining basketball team where i was on the same team as like the sophomores Mm -hmm. guys like that i felt really comfortable and honestly i had a really good time nice i was even though i was a reclusive high schooler i did not do anything i was just at home all of the time
1: (laughs) what did you do at
2: home i just uh, started i had started playing drums so it was kind of game over Um, yeah and i was obsessed obsessed with metal so it was all I did was metal and drum. How, how, did, that, how did that happen?
1: You went from like being a ho-hum about, you know.
2: Your, the violin. About, about the viola. A viola, excuse okay. me. And, and,
1: you know, listening to, you know, like Def Leppard to now you're playing drums.
2: Yeah, i am mean, yeah, playing drums and listening to Dying Fetus. Instead. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so what? how did that happen? How did that come about?
2: Um, honestly, so it started when I was a kid. I remember hearing Metallica. I was like eight or nine, and mm-hmm. I was like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever heard." And then I was at Best Buy with my parents, and I saw Metallica CD, and I went up to my mom. And I was like, "I want." It was Ride the Lightning, and I was like, "Can I get this?" And she's like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so I I had already had the bug for it, and. Um, I also remember when I was a kid, my favorite movie was Ace Ventura. Oh my gosh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> the first one, okay. both of them, I love them both. Yeah. But the first one, if you remember, there's a scene in a club with a very famous death metal band called Cannibal Corpse. Uh-huh. Um, and I saw that also and I thought that was really cool. Um, but So it was, the bug was in me, I was like, I'm really curious about this. So, But when my mom told me I couldn't have that Metallica rap record, It it just awoke this monster inside of me who just wanted Mm -hmm. to pursue even more. So, come, I'd say, eighth grade, my dad got one of those XM radios. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to do the dishes after dinner every night with my family, and there was a little one right in front of the sink. And my parents would go, like, take a shower and have a glass of wine on the porch or something. And I would be doing dishes, and I would like, like turn, turn metal. Thing. <laughs> and um, I started hearing all these bands, and I was like, they were I was like, they were like edgy. I was like, ooh, Killswitch Engage, ooh, like you know, like Cannibal Corpse, or all this stuff. and I was like, ooh, this is really cool. And I started um, taking all of my like allowance or chore money that I would get, and I would just go to the store with my dad. <laughs> like, um, I would buy these CDs, and then. I would be listening to them and my mom would be like, where did you get this? Cause it wasn't that she was against it. She was just worried that I was going to turn into like an angry person or something.
1: Yeah. You don't seem uh, very angry.
2: No, it's kind of a common metalhead thing too. Usually just like you listen to it and it's just like, Oh
0: <laughs>
2: so, yeah. A bit of a drug, honestly.
1: Yeah. So, so then drums, yeah. how did the drums
2: happen? Drums happened. So, uh, Towards the end of eighth grade, you know, hormones flowing, crushes. Mm-hmm. I, love, I like her, she's cute. Um I was also very big, not only was I in the middle, I was really into pop punk, so like I was a huge like blank one eighty two fan. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Who? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I was gonna say um, Burrett was over here listening to recorders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just shredding away. <laughs> um, Jethro Toll. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, you Oh God! Um, but yeah, I was listening to uh, After School. I was listening to some Blink One Eighty Two, and a lot of the lyrics were oriented towards girls. And uh, I was uh, I was like, and I was like, Travis Barker's cool. Um, and I was in my head. I quickly had this idea: maybe if I get good at drums, girls will like me. Oh boy! It's like love actually. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that's why that was the spark that ignited it, and then I literally got up from my bed immediately, went up to my mom, j- almost jokingly I was like, "I want to play drums," and I was expecting just like, "No," yeah. um, but instead she was just like, "Yes, if you take lessons." I like, okay. wow.
0: was like, "Okay." Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then I was in the jazz band, and you started. You know, yeah. and I remember Carl Johnson was like, you know, here's the beat, you know, and yeah, you
2: were... I had just started, so I was really new. Yeah. Um, very intimidated. Um, yeah, well,
0: it, it. it was also because you were, in a sense, leading the jazz band. I mean, what you were doing set the, right. you know, the rhythm for everybody else. And so you it, yeah. it also, I think, helped you come out of your shell a little bit.
2: It definitely did, because I was, I mean, pretty shy.
0: yeah.
2: Um, socially, socially like but I like to be a goofball so playing drums definitely helped me be a little bit more yeah energetic I guess if you know. wow yeah
1: so then in high school you have this you know awakening metal blossom <laughs> blooming yeah. Yeah. and and what was what was your academic life like you know was it a challenge was it just kind of meh were there things that really inspired you how was what was your experience of the academics
2: I had, um, there were a lot, there were so many things that I really enjoyed and so many things that I had, I struggled with. Um, I really uh, had so many of the subjects I thought were really cool. Um, It's kind of like high school to me at Waldorf was like a whirlwind, hyper-concentrated version of what like grade school was, I thought. Yes, "Hmm."
1: literally yes.
2: I really took to, I, I, since it was kind of similarly structured as elementary school, I thought that was like a really natural transition of the, the main lesson followed by like, like, you know, like math, Spanish, history kind of stuff mm-hmm. like that was like, um, worked for me. I was like, okay, I know, I know how to do this.
0: Maybe just your favorite subjects or was a, a class particularly stu- stood out for you? Or
1: a teacher. Teacher, okay.
0: The very loaded um, question.
2: Yeah, a very loaded question.
1: <laughs> I didn't teach uh, him. It's fine. No,
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did good. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I really, um, I actually was a, I actually enjoyed for the most part, I actually, even though I wasn't the best student, Matthew will know this, is I, w- I enjoyed, I always enjoyed math class.
0: A lot. Oh, you're getting some <laughs> extra beeswax sent to you yeah. in the mail.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, math class was actually, it's, uh, math was always something I liked because again, my brain hadn't, this is a subject we can get into a little bit more, but uh, I like, the thing I liked about math is this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There wasn't it's uh whereas English class I really struggled with they're, they're like just write you and I'm like what?
1: <laughs> you're like I turn inside and there's a white noise. I don't know what that means
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so and at this point I was very much like that i've I, I would say I've changed a lot since then, but the I was yeah very much I was like black and white good I really liked math classes and I loved science class. I was actually a very big um I loved Greg Schultz a lot mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and he also would talk to me about racing and metal music, because he took an interest in my metal music. <laughs> he was like, I want to know more about this So that was pretty fun. Um, very interesting. But uh, yeah, those were the things that I, that and obviously PE was more fun for me too. Mm-hmm. I was still a competitive guy. Um, but really, I would say um, I did not do well in Chinese. With, uh, Christine. Christine. I don't think it, I don't think she loved me in her class very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she did. Um, she did. Okay. You were you yeah, were she, all a bunch of rapscallions, but she she yeah, really cared about each and every one of you.
2: Yeah. And the following year you guys got blessed with the balance of Newton's third law with mm-hmm. my class. The following year you got my sister's class, which was the polar opposite. <laughs> <of> the <law>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so And that was kind of a thing because academically speaking, I would say I was like a pretty average student. I would, uh, especially with high school, I would get home and I was like, I just want to play drums. And Mm -hmm. every time I get home from school, my mom would be like, how much homework do you have? But I would say, I figured out really quickly, I was like, don't say a lot because then she's going to expect you to work for hours on homework. And then I would just be like, I have a little bit. Yeah. But then my everyday my sister was always just like, "I have so much. I don't know what I'm going to do." Yeah. Because my sister was the opposite of me. She's academically perfect. So she was always the to a T. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, "Why do you? Why do you tell them that?" She's like, "Because I'm telling the truth." I'm like, "Good for you."
0: (laughs) Talk a little bit about your senior project.
2: Oh, senior project. Yes, this was. I actually had a lot of fun with this. This was one of my favorite things I uh, got to do. Um, so I had been playing drums for about f- almost four years at this point. I would say really seriously for about two, and I had gotten really infatuated with people asking me, like, um, "Isn't drumming kind of like doing the tap your head or yeah, belly?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a like, little weird coordination. And I, I had taken that to the extreme. I had been I learned a lot of how to play drums from just like music like instructional dvds i found at music stores and stuff like that okay and um there was this austrian guy by the name of uh thomas lang who i was obsessed with who had he would do these things where he would be like i'm gonna play seven eight with my hands and i'm gonna play five eight with my feet oh okay and he would do all these crazy and i would be like whoa you can do that that's really cool because i was all i'm always just like well, I'm always obsessed with people who can do just like things that people just blow people's minds. Like when I pe- meet like magicians or mm-hmm. like uh, anybody who's just like little things, you're like, oh, you can do that. That's um, my favorite stuff. So I watched this guy do this like all the time religiously. And I was just like, my senior year, I took it. I was, I knew all pretty much immediately. And I was like, this is what I want to do for my senior project.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. Like so I had spent pretty much the whole of my senior year practicing that kind of stuff, um, in preparation to do it um, on the like, on the drum set and figuring out how to do that was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a, a head scratcher because I was like, how am I going to keep people in, interested in this because it's. Not something they do or care about. How, how do I do that? Which is kind of what everybody was doing. Um, but uh, I would say, what I tr- um, I didn't the the since I knew so much about it, I've been doing it the whole year. I think two days before my actual presentation, Pam Colgate was like, "You ready to do a rehearsal? Just like a quick run through." And I was like, "Sure." I had no speech prepared. I didn't prepare anything. Yeah, I was just gonna go up and be like and wing it because I knew I knew what the subject was, mm-hmm. and I, I I tried to convince her. I was like, "Can we not do a practice run through? Because I I know what I'm gonna do, and I I don't have a speech, and you're gonna like <laughs> not like that I don't have a speech prepared." Um, uh, but she's like, "No, no, it's fine. Just just pretend, you know, pretend we're doing the real thing." And I was like, "Okay," and talking to Pam about she's brilliant um, but talking to her about like just looking at her and talking about this kind of stuff I was like this is not working right now working? yeah <laughs> not selling, I'm not selling this very well um but I was you know um I uh the main thing I want because I was like without the drum set I can't really uh I can't iterate how to do this yeah verbally very well um but I uh did end up what i ended up doing is this, i so my presentation was on drums and it's basically the concept of indep- limb independence and interdependence hmm. um, developing independence of just all your limbs because when you there's a there's a sense of awareness that comes when you have like a, more control of your body because if uh i'm trying to put this in a Good words. Again, words are not my forte, uh, forgive me, but um, it's a really great balancing act of learning how to um, really listen to yourself.
0: Hmm. And doing different things with different hands is what you're saying, right? That's the limb independence. Yeah. Yeah,
2: limb independence and developing that kind of independence of like, okay, my right foot's like doing a constant here. Like one, two, three, one, two, three, and then having four over here. So every this would be called a hemiola, but you have yeah. three on one side and four on the one side in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So gotcha. It's like my 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 favorite metaphor for always time people. I think I used this in my senior presentation. Was you know when you're sitting at a light and your blinkers going, and the blinker in front, of the, in the car in front of you is synced up for a second, and then it starts to get off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then eventually it lines up again. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's happening. It's the yeah. same thing. Because hmm. okay. eventually it will... It's just using numbers doing it. So it's like yeah. a more precise way of doing it. Hmm.
1: So did but, you... Yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, no. I'm. I'm please help me here.
1: here. No, so I was going to say, so in your project, did you have a kind of like one long series of putting... These numeric patterns together, or did you have different little snippets that illustrated different examples of this theory you were demonstrating?
2: I I did. I had prepared a series of different numerical um, combinations, the ones that I was most comfortable with. Yeah, um, obviously, but um, gotta put on a good show. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and then so I I remember personally. I remember. Number the numbers I was most comfortable with were uh, three and five and uh, four. Um, seven was a little reachy for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, though I remember doing like, okay, I'm going to do combinations of three, three, four in the hands, and then five, four in the feet. And then mm-hmm. Both, you know, mathematically speaking, it's going to take 15 beats for that to cycle around. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's own basic math, um, but. Um, Uh, yeah, for them to, yes start at the exact same point as they initially did. Um, um, doing that kind of thing, and I had prepared... One of the things I've... uh, Sorry, I'm very poor at, linearly speaking. No, Um, no, no, this is great. Okay. Um, the... In all of the DVDs that I had, there was always... You were looking at the guy on the drum set, but there was also a camera that was showing the feet.
0: Mm. Oh, gotcha.
2: Yeah, really. I was like, it's really important for people to be like they might be able to hear what the feet are doing, but it's really important to um, have like a bit of a. What would you say? Um, I wanted to have a visual cue for people to see my feet. So Mm -hmm. my dad, my dad was like, "Hey, we have a video camera. How about we put one on your feet and have a TV on stage?"
0: Yeah, I remember that. What your
2: feet was doing, and that was. I guess, I guess it, and I think, um, if I remember correctly, Mariah Salier had went on right before me, and she was um, mostly talking about environmentalism, <laughs> 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 and here I am, I'm like, got all this tech on stage, just running all this electricity, Yeah. all this, like, here's a big TV with my feet on it, and then I'm like, just
0: being yeah.
2: loud. Is <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you know, I have to probably chime in here for a moment because you were definitely practicing your senior project throughout most of senior year, and mm-hmm. I've always uh, used you as an example of what you can do on your senior solo um right. <laughs> you want to yeah. talk a little bit about what you were doing on your senior solo and,
1: and really yeah. quick, give some context for what the senior solo is for oh, yes. people who may not of know
2: of course um so beginning of your senior year uh when you're in high school the seniors take the freshmen in santa fe we take them out to via Citos, and um we do a. Uh, like two days with freshmen and then like the third day, the seniors Mm. branch off and go out into the wilderness and do um, a 24 hour wilderness solo. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, I remember from the get go, I I had a plan. (laughs) You were not enthusiastic. No, I I was never the outdoorsy guy, Um, but yeah, I had a plan. So I was like, I brought my, I brought my, I brought two practice pads and I brought, Two, uh, two pairs of sticks in case I like lost one for some reason um I <laughs> get them in my backpack pretty well I think I wrapped them in like a sweater think, yeah because I was like maybe they'll check my bag I don't th- I don't want I don't think they will yeah. I'm just wrap them up anyway so they don't see it um and yeah so I pretty much set up camp and um I uh, I practiced for pretty much the whole time, but most of the day, at least probably like six hours, just doing exercises. Wow! <laughs> I went for like a little bit of a walk, but then I was just like, all right.
1: whoever whoever had a campsite close to you probably thought the woodpeckers were just like having a really active day. Time. Yeah. So um, I'm. S- where did where do you think this drive came from? Like, was it just curiosity and kind of you talk about being competitive and, and maybe like stretching your capabilities or there things you were seeing, you know, someone like Travis Barker doing that you saw these exercises as being the, you know, kind of like the, the, the thing that would get you to the ability that they were playing with.
2: Um, I would say, so from a, I remember when I was a kid, um, my dad, who's, traditional kind of working man um, he told me he was like when you get older you're going to have to get a job that you probably won't like very much in order to pay the bills and do all this stuff and I remember I was like eight and my head I was like that is the dumbest thing I've (laughs) ever heard I remember and I I carried that with me everywhere that idea I was like I don't want to be that at all Uh but also at the same time he also pushed me really hard like in sports he was like he was a coach. He was one of my coaches, and he always wanted me to be the best. And I think, you know, I love him for that, but um, he definitely pushed me a lot, which is mm-hmm. good. But would always just... The, the thing it was that was hard for my parents to swallow is I only did applied that ideal towards things like playing drums or mm-hmm. music production or wanting to do filmmaking. It was never towards school yeah. or... Um, getting like like a my like my traditional day jobs and kind of stuff like that. Um but it was also I I knew I do believe that if there's something you do really want to do then I I believe it's it becomes a res, a personal responsibility to d- actually do it. Hmm. So um because life there there's life is filled with work. It's not about work, but it's I think it's about learning a big part of life is learning to love do, to do whatever it is you end up doing. Huh. And the only way to do that is to kind of have to push yourself. Not push yourself. I don't like push yourself because it's the kind of language that internal dialogue I've had for so long that yeah. makes it kind of harder to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to put in time to learn about yourself in order to follow through. And just become a better person. I think a better person. All things in life kind of just make you do this, whether it's work, relationships, um, any anything really. Yeah. Life is always just inviting you to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, the right thing.
1: Yeah, presenting opportunities
2: maybe.
0: Yeah. yeah, And opening yourself up for those opportunities to manifest.
2: Right. Yeah. And sometimes like I, I had a my drumming career kind of I I kind of halted it on my own a few years ago because I was in a I guess you would say a funk. a lot of us were it was a very strange time it's a funky time yeah and um I remember I was getting these opportunities and I was turning them down Hmm. because I wasn't um I'm realizing to this point I hadn't developed um a sense of a great sense of self-worth in what I was doing I didn't think I was worthy of doing what I was doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, which is a very um, interesting thing to have to deal with. We all deal with it to a certain degree. Totally. But, um, and that's, but that's also, there was always this deeper desire. I was like, I got to try pursuing this filmmaking and other things and stuff like that. Why yeah. am I not doing it So I started saying no to these drumming opportunities. And, learning how to do all these other things instead because I wanted like I said earlier I'll bring this this is my long tangent that I'm bringing back I when I was in high school I was really into things like math things that were black and white this is the rules Mm -hmm. you do it this way and there's no other way
1: predictable Um, outcomes
2: yeah exactly and I was also into drumming in the same way I was really into metal drumming because it's a very it's like classical music in the sense that it's um it's a rehearsed genre. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're playing everything note for note. Yeah. To a T. Whereas if you look at like a jazz musician, they're just yeah they're just going improvising. Yeah. Improvising, moving with it, and I've been become more intrigued by that aspect of myself um, these past several years. Mm. Really, been trying to unearth that with different art forms, like doing writing music and trying to do filmmaking, but at the same time and learning how to do that stuff as a drummer, yeah. I'm way better, hmm. way better than I ever was.
0: Oh, wow. So talk a little and bit about...
2: So- wow.
0: Yeah. Please continue. Tell- t- talk about what you're doing now.
2: Okay. Um, so, yeah, about... This is another little fun story thing, when I was in college um, I had a, there was a band I was obsessed with by the name of Igean, they were this cinematic kind of atmospheric deathcore band mm-hmm. from the midwest and they were just my favorite thing, I was obsessed with them, people would be like, yes we get it, you like them, stop talking about it <laughs> um, um, I was like, oh they're the best, really they're the best band and um, uh, when I remember waking up Spring 2015, I was uh, I just graduated college in the winter, or no, actually, it was 2016. I had graduated college in the winter, and uh, I woke up to a text. I've been playing a lot of local shows in um, bands and stuff like that in the Twin Cities, which is where I went to college. Oh, where did you go to school? I went to this little music school called uh, McNally Smith, it was a, co- a music college, and rest in peace, does not exist anymore. Um, wow. Yeah, it's really strange, but um, I played for lots of two tu- oh I played in lots of bands, and we would open up for international and national touring bands. And these touring bands would come through, and sometimes their drummers would stand side of the stage. And every once in a while, they'd come up to me. and They're like, "You could do more than this, you know that?" And I was like, "That'd be cool." Um, and uh, there's this one guy uh, named Jason Westmoreland, who's a, still to this day a good friend of mine. He's a great drummer. He's based in Las Vegas. Um, he uh, he saw me play, and then he was just like, you need to be playing for other people. I'm going to throw your name out to some people. And then he started throwing my name out. And then one morning I got a, a text from the manager of this band, Indian He was mm. like, hey, I need a drummer. I was <laughs> like, what? You're asking me to play for my favorite band? <laughs> that sounds of course, I'll do it right now. What do you need? And they're like, yes. And I contacted them and they're like, Hey, how's it going? They're like as nice as can be. And then you, a lot of people say never meet your like idols. And, but then I was like, this is different. They're like all they're to this day. They're my best friends. Uh, we all like the same things. And nice. which is really interesting. we all, I went to the first thing I knew is when I went to their basement, at their bass player's house. You might see I have a bunch of movie posters behind me. We all had the same ones. Yeah, uh, nice. nice. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, we have very similar tastes, so that's cool. Um, but uh yeah and that was that was a a very uh I okay I'm tangentially finding my way back here. Um getting asked to play with him was uh, kind of what started me playing with a bunch of other people. But when I joined this one band, they also, like, you know our music really well. And so I started writing all of it. Oh, wow. Well, which I will say the mental toll of that when you start writing music for your favorite band is a little strange the games that start to happen up here. Yeah. Is like, is this to my standards of what I think this band should be? Or is this to their standards of what they think this should be? Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing that, I started becoming obsessed with creating music that way. Okay, I remember where I am. I know where I am now. Um, the, uh, and in pursuing making music this way, which was like a very cinematic way of writing music, I had, I made this one album with them about five years ago, and it came out, people loved it, it was really good. Um, but I had an idea while I was doing that, I was like, what if it was possible to make this concept of like an album because it's not something people are really care for these much these days Mm -hmm. i make it into the whole album is a film Mm -hmm. i think um (laughs) instead of having like i don't know just like 45 minutes of songs how about i just make it its own film that's like choreographed like the music is the script and then i create a film to it it's not like a music video. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I'm really bad at putting this into words, but no, that no, yeah, that
1: makes sense.
2: Um, but I had this. I had this spark of an idea about five years ago, and first things first, I was like, I got to figure out how to do filmmaking stuff. I have no idea how to do any of this mm-hmm. stuff, and I've been doing a lot of uh, practice a lot of sound design, like I have, like my synthesizers and stuff over here. Oh, you know, nice. Yeah, nice. Like but I do. Those are my my children um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but really just learning how to understand I want to watch movies all the time and be like understanding there's this okay it's a little heady but there's a term if you in the opening of like most religious texts, there's a variant of this term which is first there was sound and then there was light pretty much everything religiously opens up with this tone mm. and I believe personally that uh, cinema the art form of cinema is still really young and because you know when you watch a movie uh, how often do you re-watch a movie
0: it's been a while
2: yeah for
1: for me when i'm when i'm into it i'm into it and i will re-watch or re-read or re-listen okay.
2: repeatedly so okay That's in, cool. in, like
1: in my head yes but okay. maybe not typically
2: right which makes me ask my other question is when there's an album or a song you like, how often do you listen to that? Over and time? over again. Yeah, all the time. Exactly. And I've, I've always been curious. I'm like, how would you make a film that way that makes people want to watch it over and over and over again? Hmm. Um, and I think that has to do with the concept of music, not necessarily like the sound of music, but making a f- film more musically. So to speak. Hmm. Well, not I like almost, a music-
1: yeah. I almost think, you know, film is appealing more to the intellect whereas music is maybe chasing a feeling Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know and um yeah that's interesting yeah and in many ways music maybe is more for many people is a more passive thing right
2: very true yeah it's just something put on doing the dishes
1: yeah that somehow sets the tone for your life that's a fascinating
2: question yeah yeah, it's really strange, it's, I don't know, it's been my, I guess, it's occupied 90% of my head for a while now, so. Um,
1: nice, so where, where are you at on that journey?
2: I've, uh, it's it's been a long, I've finished writing what you would call, I would call the sketchbook of the music, which is the entirety of the piece of music, mm-hmm. in its roughest form. Um. And now I've also written what the movie is. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm at the point, uh, I moved to LA, I'm basically looking for money. Mm -hmm. Nice, okay. Which is a whole other life lesson to learn, is learning how to do that. It's Mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. Because I have to learn how to like, it's such a high risk, what you would call like a high risk project that if I were to convince anybody to invest in something like this, I have to figure out how to get them their money back.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which high risk stuff is there's no guarantee that it's going to make anything. So, um, I gotta figure that, I gotta figure out how to sell that as it's going to be, it's the best thing you could ever invest in pretty much. Yeah. You're going to, and honestly convincing myself that is the first step.
1: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta make it work so that it can, um, it can run for a year at the dome in Vegas.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm going for. Yeah. That's like the kind of show it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Very Yeah. It'll be that. Yeah.
0: Do you have like a website, or how are you starting to think about promotion?
2: Um, I have. I don't have a personal website for it, but that is something that I very much intend to do. Mm. Um, I do. I'm. I'm one of those. Uh, there's a. There's a saying. Um, in uh, the Art of War from Sun Tzu, it says uh, it's basically editing it a little bit here, but it's move before your plans are fully realized. Move in silence, and then when your plans are realized, come crashing down like thunder. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I remember that one.
2: Yeah, so very. Uh, I take that. I was. I'm like. It's, you'll know when to. The thing I've really been learning to do is like that listening, kind of like that improvisational jazz musician is just like listening. Life is going to tell you when it's time to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just, and I'm just doing what I know I can be working on right now. And then the impulse to move to L.A. was one of those things I had this summer where I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And it was that same feeling that you get when you're playing music and something magical happens or like when you... Meet a person that's significant to you, and you have a conversation with them, and time starts to disappear for a second, you just get sucked into it. Um, It's the same moment where I was like, Oh, okay, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm gonna do that now. It's it's like almost like a course correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, almost there's no fuss about it. You get out of the way of yourself without having to do anything. if, if you will. It's kind of the whole... I love my favorite... It's, I think it's a David... It's David Lynch reiterates this all the time, but it's one of my favorite quotes is like, um, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. I mm. love it. Mm-hmm. It's so great. Um, so I'm kind of just like... I feel like my purpose is just to be an antenna and be like, okay, I got to do that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from, but I got to do that now. That's so a little weird. Mm. Um,
1: and it does seem like this balance between being incredibly goal-driven to the point of being single-minded. Like, how mm. how can you be goal-driven while also maintaining that openness to the unexpected, right? And to the course corrections mm. and to the, you know, picking up those signals with your antenna, right? right. And I think that's, that is something that, you know, I, I think about, like, watching high school kids and and, you know, kind of being on the other side of you know, being a person in their 20s now looking back on the people who were so single-mindedly focused on one outcome. And then, you know, you look up and you've spent nine years pursuing a goal and what if it doesn't pan out, right? Versus right. maybe the ones who never had any goal and and are perfectly right. content to be, you know, nomadic well into a time in life when society as a whole says, hey, you should probably settle down and buy a house and have children, right? But there's just right. all these different ways of lifing, for lack of a better yeah. word. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it's it sounds like you have managed to strike a really beautiful balance between pursuing these things and and reaching a high level. I mean, getting, being asked to play with a band who was you know, well known known enough that they were on your radar as a fan, and then getting that's that is a goal being realized. That's a result of hard work and effort, and yet also holding that open openness to be able to say, "Hey, I'm getting all these opportunities, but maybe this isn't what is right for me right now," and being able to walk away. That's.
0: It sounds like a very creative life, you know, you have to have a lot of courage to take that leap and to assume those risks and to work on something for years with potentially no reward or outcome.
2: Yeah. Or life is sentenced to follow it pretty much, or I'm going to pay it off for the next 20 years of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if,
1: if someone were to listen to this and get really stoked about your work and want to support you, where would they reach you?
2: All right. Um, me uh, personally, or just like, yeah, I guess me personally. I honestly am not the most. I, I, I am a pretty reclusive dude. I'm a little. So,
1: carrier um, pigeon is what I'm hearing. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Uh, no, you can. I'm on. The only thing I. My only social media is uh, Instagram. And then um, I intend to do more. I do want to, like uh, Matthew was mentioning, I do want to have like a proper website it's just i don't know what it should be i'm like it should it be for drumming should it be for music production yeah i don't know what it's supposed to be it could be all of the above but um i uh think big think big yeah yeah just think grand (laughs) grand it's like Um,
1: it's like matthew with this podcast he's like we're not gonna have to work taylor i'm like i don't know i i I don't know matthew but it's good because it's it's courageous and it's optimistic and I mean it it manifests. It's wild. It really does.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well we have to work really hard, but <laughs> Well,
1: yes. Yes. This podcast is not funding our lives. Oh no. At this point.
2: No. <laughs> That's so cool though. I mean, it looks like are those R E twenty microphones that
1: you have? Oh, we we've got a super nice audio set up. Our uh mm. producer and sound engineer, a guy named Andy Smith, he's oh. uh um,
0: He's an angel.
1: He is an angel. And he was a father at the Santa Fe school. And um, he generously offered, he he, he used to run uh, produce Green Knees, the like kids okay. show on the local Santa Fe radio station. Right.
0: You probably know about this equipment way better than I do. I oh, I, okay. I called Andy and said, hey, I have this idea, as you were saying, like opening, you know, what's happening, what's coming towards us and All of a sudden, all this stuff showed up, you know, I I basically cleaned out my converted garage and
2: here we are. Yeah. It looks great. It looks, yeah, it feels, it feels like you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's Um, really, it's really special. And I think it's cool just to be able to talk to all of these people like you, who in many cases, we do have so much in common with, right. Of having, you know, been taught in a particular way, particular topics, kind of s- grown up speaking a similar language and yet seeing all these different trajectories where Waldorf students go. It's really, yeah. it's really remarkable.
2: Now, I, I do have to give also credit uh, where credit's due. I would not, I don't think pursuing life this way would have been possible without doing Waldorf at all. Um, cause I, the, cause Waldorf was always putting me in, different situations, different subjects, different scenarios, all the time, which is very helpful to further integrate that sense of adaptability because, I mean, I think the secret to happiness is not um, in not being uncomfortable, it's in being okay, it's in being totally fine, being uncomfortable, I'm fine, I'm used to being
0: uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, that's great. Was there anything that we didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about? Uh, not
2: too much. Not really. I think, yeah, I think you've hit it all pretty good. I think the main, yeah, all, I guess the main short nutshell thing about me is I've even, in the arc of being a drummer to a professional extent, like I, after playing like for my favorite band, Like my success as a drummer kept going up. I actually got to, I even had the opportunity to play for um, one of the biggest uh, death metal bands in the United States. Um, Wow. Yeah, they played. uh, What band? uh, The Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So I got to play for them when they're in 2017, when I filled in for them, which was just an honor being asked in the first place, but um, because I've been listening to them since high school and. Their, um, their new album had just come out in 2017 and it debuted on the Billboard 200 at number eight next to Taylor Swift, which I was like, this is weird. Um, wow. <laughs> doing this success and I'm like, I'm playing with this band all of a sudden, it's yeah. really weird. But at the same time, that tour, was, um, that tour was like the rude awakening of like, is this, I'm doing, this is like the peak of what mm-hmm. I've been looking to do. And yet I'm like, this, I'm like, yeah, this isn't
0: it.
1: Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to identify that. Absolutely. I think we can all, Um, we can all point to moments kind of great or small where you, you realize the dream and, and then you look around and, and um, maybe it's not worth the personal cost. Maybe it's not worth the, but, but something about it, you know, I think there's a podcast that I listened to for a while where a lot of they primarily talked to people who were celebrities in some way, actors, musicians, and and there was a common thread identified that for so many people pursuing fame or some external validation, that there was this idea that when they got to the other side, that they would fi- that voice inside would finally shut up, that there would right. finally be this sense of of self worth that would click into place. And right. yet that moment never came. And no matter how yeah. high you threw the bar, that moment never came. And that it, it really comes down to a relationship with self and and a self-cultivated sense of worth that. Yeah. Um, and that's a powerful lesson. And I think, you know, your parents can sit there and tell you, you know, oh, that, you know, they can people can dispel this wisdom to you, but it's something that doesn't really click in until it's lived
2: exactly yeah really true mm-hmm. just being able to be comfortable at like i said yeah any given moment um which is the wise words of my mother growing up mm-hmm. so. hey mom hey mom i love my mom, <laughs> hey, mom.
1: <laughs> oh man well so you can be found on instagram and it's just your name correct
2: yeah, it's Matthew Palazzo.
1: Okay. Um, Matthew Palazzo. You can see the spelling in the episode title. Um, we, give him a follow. He has some crazy drumming videos. Yeah,
0: we did check out your drumming videos for sure. Oh, cool, cool, cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now. I'm I'm going to start doing some more of those. I had stopped doing those for a long time, but I'm actually doing – I just got my first uh, – I got my first real uh, endorsement recently. There's a pedal company out here in L.A. that's been wanting me for years, and so I'm going to do some videos for them and stuff like that. Nice, nice. Have a beautiful one and keep me posted on everything. See you soon. All All right. right. Take care.
0: Would you like to be a sponsor on Hard Beeswax? Email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com.
1: That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website, hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.